Good morning, Idlewild. I am Ashley Ann Masters, Director of Presbyterian Campus Ministry of Raleigh, and I bring you greetings from North Carolina. I wanted you all to be able to see the stole that I will be wearing today. This is a stole that Ann Apple made me as an ordination gift in 2007. I also have known your soon-to-be new pastor, David, since we were on Presbytery Youth Council together in high school, which was a few years ago. So I am especially grateful for the gift of Connectional Church this Sunday, for the ties that bind years and decades of history and geography, especially in these days when we cannot all gather together, it is even more important and more vital. So thank you for this invitation. It is also a privilege to be with you all as a board member of Memphis Youth Mission. Our gospel comes from the gospel according to Mark, chapter one, verses 14 through 20. Listen now to what the Spirit is speaking to the church. Now after John was arrested, Jesus came to Galilee proclaiming the good news of God. Jesus said, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. As Jesus passed along the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and his brother Andrew casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And Jesus said to them, follow me and I will make you fish for people. And immediately they left their nets and followed him. As he went on a little farther, he saw James, the son of Zebedee, and his brother John, who were in their boat mending their nets. Immediately he called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired men and followed him. This is the word of our Lord. Thanks be to God. For at least the last nine months, we've all gathered virtually to worship God and to feel a sense of community after weeks that were consistently deemed unprecedented or historic, unimaginable or unlike anything in our lifetime, either in our nation or in our world. And this week, of course, is no exception. On Tuesday, we collectively gathered across the nation with luminaries and prayers, hymns and silence to remember over 400,000 lives lost to COVID-19. We grieved as individuals, as families, as communities. We grieved as a country. The church where our Presbyterian campus ministry is housed has a lovely courtyard, which has been our safe dwelling place since last March. As luminaries lit the perimeter of the courtyard, a church member played Amazing Grace on the bagpipes. Then choir members rang bells in memory and in honor before a time of silence. I gave the closing prayer, and as I did, I instinctively raised my arms the way we clergy do and said, let us pray. And as I did this very common instinctive act, it took my breath away. Because as my hands were like this, I could feel my right shoulder start to throb because the day before I had received my second dose of the COVID vaccine. In the soreness of a shoulder, I felt the gift of very palpable hope while I prayed for the families who deeply grieve that their loved ones did not live to see this vaccine. My college students remarked that they cannot even comprehend the number 400,000 when it comes to lives. And in so many ways, they feel affected by the pandemic, but not 
since everyone in our group who had it is fully healed and fully recovered. We walked around the luminaries that lined every church sidewalk, and we saw lights in the darkness as far as we could see. We were overwhelmed with grief, with hope, with fatigue, and the sense of community. On Wednesday, we awoke to what we knew would be living history right before our eyes. We knew we were about to see the first female dark-skinned vice president of the United States. We knew multiple leaders of various faith traditions were going to start the historic day by worshiping together with the president-elect in the same cathedral of President John F. Kennedy's funeral. We knew history was happening. But we did not know what else might happen on Wednesday. For only two Wednesdays before, on the epiphany of our Lord, this nation revealed what we already knew to be true about the contagious diseases of racism, of lies, of hatred. Only two Wednesdays ago, we collectively watched in horror as domestic terrorists and white supremacists attacked that same Capitol building. Because of two Wednesdays ago, many educators and parents hesitated to watch the historic inauguration live with children, lest there potentially be more collective grief or trauma or tragedy to debrief with them. We knew Wednesday would be historic, but we didn't know if we could exhale just yet. Our church administrator and I huddled around her laptop, clutching our pearls and holding our masked breath as we watched together. With each entrance and announcement at the top of those Capitol stairs, we sighed in relief for safety. With each entrance, we sighed in relief of hope. With each entrance, we sighed in relief that this Wednesday might just reveal the better side of humanity. I felt tears fall down inside my mask as Vice President Kamala Harris took her vows and I so wished her mama had lived to see her baby girl make history. I felt more tears fall as a man who knows the grief of burying children and burying his former spouse promised to continue his life of public service as an imperfect, authentic human led by his soul. So help him God. With each speech and song, Anna, our administrator, and I looked at each other and kept saying, it's okay. Everybody is safe. This Wednesday is different. This is what democracy looks like. This is what representation looks like. This is what decency looks like. Our children are watching, and this Wednesday is different. And then 22-year-old Amanda Gorman captivated us. She recited the poem she wrote for the day, and we clung to every prophetic, gorgeous, powerful word. She was bold and spoke truth to power in all the ways we needed to hear it. While wise beyond her years, her words prove that our children are indeed watching, and our children will indeed hold us accountable to higher standards. She ended her prophetic proclamation like this. We will rebuild, reconcile, and recover in every known nook of our nation, in every corner called our country, our people, diverse and beautiful, will emerge battered and beautiful. 
when day comes, we step out of the shade aflame and unafraid. The new dawn blooms as we free it, for there is always light. If only we're brave enough to see it. If only we're brave enough to be it. Her words were the benediction many of us needed on Wednesday. Her words inspired adults to continue to dream dreams and work for a more perfect union. Her words refreshed weary veterans who wonder what legacy might look like. Her very existence at that Capitol podium showed our children how important it is to follow your passions. I've reread her poem at least 20 times now, as I'm sure many of you have too. And while I read it alongside these words from Mark, I keep writing these four words over and over. Rebuild, reconcile, recover, repent. All are such active words. All of them require great accountability. All require work and honesty and time. All of those words require willingness and hope and God's help. For Jesus said, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. Words matter and the sequence of them matters too. And here Jesus knows exactly what he's saying. Repent first, then believe the good news. We cannot savor the exhales and joy and peace and celebration of this Wednesday without repenting of the suffocating sorrow and strife of white supremacy revealed just two Wednesdays ago. Repent first, then believe the good news. We cannot move forward as citizens and neighbors without continuing to repent of all that is collectively sinful in order to believe the good news that a better way, a more peaceful way, a more liberating way is truly attainable for every child of God. As I mentioned, I'm the director of a campus ministry, but since the pandemic, I'm also serving as a hospital chaplain. Prior to being in campus ministry, I was a chaplain for about a decade. So last spring, when there was an all call for those of us who had, quote, retired, to come back and help with pandemic, it felt like a call I couldn't say no to. Due to visitor restrictions with COVID, as you know, chaplains and nurses and doctors and respiratory therapists are often the only people with patients because their friends and family usually cannot be. Through gloves and masks and shields and plastic gowns, we hold their hands and tell them that they're brave and that they're not alone. We tell them how much their favorite people wish they could be with them. We relay messages to them for family members. We call their families to give them updates and tell them how much they love them. And as was often the case in my chaplain experience prior to COVID, we hold space for repent and regret, for things left unsaid and undone and unrepaired. We hear stories of what people wish they had rebuilt. We hear of relationships never reconciled. We hear of wounds of the heart and soul that never fully recovered. We hear stories of repent, 
because we are the ones who happen to be there to hold them. It's one of the most raw and beautiful and sacred aspects of humanity to hear such stories when patients are in what I call the just-in-case season. Just in case I don't recover, tell my children how proud I am of them. Just in case I don't recover, tell my sibling about this secret that I'm still holding from our childhood. Just in case I don't recover, tell my spouse I wish I'd been home for more family dinners. Just in case, tell them I'm sorry. Tell them I love them. Tell them I hope they forgive me. Tell them how much I'll miss them. Tell them thank you. While I am humbled to be trusted with the just-in-case seasons of strangers, and I will always relay family messages as instructed, what I'm drawn to in this week's text, alongside our events of the week, is that we do not have to wait for the just-in-case season to repent. Jesus' call to discipleship in this text is urgent, and the disciples' response is immediate. They don't wait for the just-in-case season to follow. They just follow. They don't have all the answers, and they sure don't have a plan, but they follow Jesus anyway. Jesus says the time is fulfilled, and the kingdom of God is near. Repent and believe the good news. Friends, this is good news for today, for now, for right now. This is about what can be rebuilt and reconciled now. This is about who may be able to start the sacred work of recovery today. This is about how we need to repent now. There is no reason to wait for the just-in-case seasons of that liminal space between sickness and when our baptisms are complete to repent to do better, to be better. There is no reason to wait for the just-in-case season of a Wednesday like two Wednesdays ago to text each other, I love you. I sure hope you're safe. There is no reason to wait until it feels less awkward to say, I am so sorry, and please hold me accountable for my actions. The good news of the gospel is that our liberation is bound in everybody else's liberation. When we obey Jesus and repent, we shall be liberated that we may then believe and see all the goodness and mercy and grace that God has in store for all of humanity in all of creation. The good news of the gospel is we do not have to wait to repent. We do not have to wait to be forgiven. We do not have to wait to make changes to be the best version of ourselves. We are called to repent so the accountability of truth may bring the liberation of freedom. Friends, the time is fulfilled. Rebuild. Reconcile. Recover. Repent. For the kingdom of God has come near. May we be brave enough to live like it. Amen.